Hey there, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, here we are for another episode of Redeemed Through His Blood. This is Scott Durfee. Got Dave Durfee here with me. Hey, Dave. So sweet to be with you, Scott. Yeah, yeah it's always good beautiful, to be with you, too. Beautiful day. We oh. are quickly moving out of warm weather here on yeah, the Wasatch yeah. Front. Yeah, fall is in the air. It's yep. such a beautiful time of the year. How a little we... melancholy for me today. Oh, is that right? Why is that? Well, my sweet granddaughter entered the MTC today. Yeah, that's right. So I'm thinking about her. Spent the day yesterday in the temple with her and her family and yeah, uh, her mom and dad. And uh, it was really, really tender, really, really sweet. And uh, she'll be a, a great missionary. She, she uh, gave a great homecoming talk. She is a perfectionist. <laughs> and she really struggles with that. And I've, I've tried to... I keep telling her, Sierra, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect because it, it really worries me. And her mother was like that. <sighs> no one's perfect. And sometimes perfectionists, when they find out that they're not perfect and they can't be perfect, man, they can they can lose it. It can be devastating. Yeah, it can be devastating. And uh, anyway, I'm worried about that with her. But, man, she gave the sweetest talk Sunday about the the sin of perfectionism. I don't know that she used the word sin, but that's kind of how I see it. Uh, and she, oh, it was just beautiful. It was so Christ-centered, Scott, and uh, that she's come to realize, she said, that the only perfection is in Christ. I just, I, it was really powerful. And she, I told her the most important five words that she used in her whole talk it was after she talked about learning that principle. She's learned that principle just recently, the last week or two, doing the home MTC. She said, I've learned that per the only perfection is in Christ. And uh, the most important five words, and she said, I know this is true. She said it just like that, and it was so powerful. So I'm really grateful. She'll be a terrific missionary going to Philadelphia. And then last night we bought a suit for our grandson who's going to North Carolina. You know, you, my my dad bought you a suit. He did. Bought yeah. all his grandsons yeah. or granddaughters that yeah. went on missions a suit. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's kind of been a, a sweet thing to kind of try, try to repeat that tradition. But uh, anyway... Great time in our family, but also kind of melancholy, and uh, we're, we're grateful to have missionaries, and uh, I, you know, not all my kids serve missions, and I'm sure not all my grandkids will serve missions, and people who are listening, I'm not, I'm not saying any of that to make anybody feel bad about it, it's just, uh, you know, part of living and part of being in the gospel of Jesus Christ is some go and some don't go, and I, I gave a a patriarchal blessing to someone who's not going to go on a, ever go on, on a mission until maybe after they've raised their children. And I told her in her patriarchal blessing, uh, she's married and, and got children and just getting active in the church and still not married in the temple. And I told her, and I this was powerful part of her blessing. I said, God sees you as a missionary. And, to, and in my mind, it was like, it's, I mean, that's as serious in God's eyes as a full-time missionary. Mm -hmm. 
he sees this woman who's a convert to the church, right? Hasn't been through the temple, just just only been a member for a year or two. And God sees her as a missionary. She was in the pre-mortal existence. She is a missionary here. And, you know, I just think, I love Elder Bednar's um, thought on this many years ago when he said, it's not about going. It's about being a missionary. No, I'm not about going on a mission. I, I mean, we need mission. We need full-time missionaries, and it's wonderful, and it's a great sacrifice, and what a blessing. But it's not about going. It's about being a missionary hmm. that matters. Yeah. So whether anyone's chosen not to go or not doesn't doesn't disqualify them from being a missionary, and that's that's what ultimately really matters. That's right. Well, that's really cool. You've got uh, Carter going soon. Uh, you have uh, Sierra. Sierra, yeah, went Sierra in today. Sierra went in today, and uh, that's exciting times. Um, yeah, fun to get their emails, fun to watch the transition, yeah. fun, to, fun to watch them become their, their own best convert. Right, yeah. You know, and yeah. learn the principles that uh, will, will bless them, hopefully, for the rest of their life. You know, I, I remember those days. I, go, I still go back. I have every email, every letter that I received from Trevor, and I have every letter that I received from Dakota. And I don't do it very often, but I did the other day. Did I just, you? yeah, oh, I was just kind of oh. wandering through, um, you know, cleaning out some old email stuff, and I, I still have them on electronic file. I need to print them. Yeah, that's I probably need to print them oh, and put them yeah, in a I book and give them to them. those guys. But um, I wish we would have saved them. Yeah, it was it's, it was kind I of probably a, actually do because our mine went out. After yours, and I probably have you have emails. probably have emails too. Then I yeah. probably have emails. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know my dad still handwrites all these letters yeah, to you know, right. which is beautiful. I mean, that's that's wonderful because the kids have that hard copy, and there's something to be said about that too. As a matter of fact, I found an old letter from Grandpa Durfee not too oh, long cool. ago, and it was you know he had such beautiful penmanship and he pr- <laughs> beautiful. That, that that's relatively <laughs> speaking, some people didn't think so. Well, it was, it was unique. I thought it was. It was pretty I, hard I thought it, I thought people. it was beautiful. You know, I guess the anyway. uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. There's no question. But hey, uh, we had a great uh, experience this past weekend. We had Elder uh, Pepper Murray from the uh, Area 70 uh, kind of uh, oversee and preside at a state conference for us. What I met a, Elder Pepper Murray. He he's, was at our. He's a good man. When I was in the state presidency, he he attended one of our state conferences. You know, well. he and I have uh, a lot of commonality. I don't know if you know this or no. not, but he was actually the uh, head of the Justin Sports Medicine for the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. Oh, okay. For quite a while. Doctor. Yeah, orthopedic. Yeah, he's an orthopedic surgeon, surgeon. and you know, I went yeah. up to talk to him because he talked about being on the rodeo team up at Utah State. And my, oh, wow. my, my uncle Richard on my other, you know, on my mom's yeah. side was on the rodeo team the same time. Did he and, know him? Yeah, he knew him, and he knew uh, Tyson oh, Durfee, cool. who's uh, kind of a distant cousin of ours uh, that lives out in Weatherford, Texas, who won the world in tie-down roping uh, in recent years, and he knows he knows Tyson quite well as well. So oh, that's, that's kind of awesome. Cool. Yeah, it was really. Yeah, neat. he's a good man. It, they all he are. And his it's wife in, it's were interesting. Really, yeah, really sweet. Yeah, she she is uh, really special too. Yeah. It's really cool how that is. Well, today we're uh, moving along. You know, we're kind of wrapping up the the season, David. We have a couple, I think, more episodes that we'll be able to release. We have a surprise. Uh, I don't know if it's a surprise or not, but we have Jack Christensen who will be here. 
uh, to do a, a interview with us in a, a upcoming weeks very shortly here. Yeah, I should yeah, maybe yeah, I shouldn't have awesome. said that because if he uh, if he cancels on us and it's out there, <laughs> then we're gonna. That may not have been a good move, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. We'll hold his feet. To uh, I, I love Jack. I had lunch lunch with with Jack on uh, on Monday. We're old rivals. Yeah, uh, we played. We competed against each other, you know, in sports, and uh, and now we're we're dear friends. Anyway, he's he's a good man and an author and teacher and leader administrator. He had some influence on me. Uh, we're going to be talking about some important things today, and, and I'll mention it when it comes up. But uh, he actually had some influence on me, especially as he a, has a lot of influence on a lot of people. He, he does. He really does. Yeah. yeah. And he and I both share the he's a patriarch and right. I'm a patriarch, yeah. and it's kind of fun to get together and talk about that. When you're a patriarch, it's kind of lonely, Scott, because you don't have a quorum. I'm grateful to have a couple of friends who are patriarchs and. Once in a while, go to lunch and talk about uh, uh, the process of preparing and receiving revelation. Yeah. Anyway, Scott, so uh, I told my my both my granddaughter and grandson that the ultimate uh, purpose, I know they have a purpose and preach my gospel, and I love that, which is basically to teach the doctrine of Christ, right? Faith, repentance, baptism, receive the Holy Ghost, endure to the end. And... Uh, but I told my I told my grandkids I said so listen to me just we just really take this to heart don't forget your grandpa told you this when you're out there it is not about you so when somebody comes up to you and says are you saved you know we played that little uh, thing last week about the the young adults in yeah. California yeah yeah I don't even know if it was in California but it looked like it was along the beach. You know the the pastor who put them on the spot, and they were all focused on, you know, are, are they saved or not saved? I said, when somebody asks you on your mission, are you saved? Don't let them turn your focus inward on you. Don't wonder if you're saved. All you need to do is keep your focus centered on Jesus Christ, and your response to that should be immediately, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know he saved me, he redeemed me, and he's my Redeemer. I know he died for my sins and for yours. I said, don't ever let anyone cause you in any question they may ask you to go inward and focus on yourself or your salvation. Focus on Christ and his salvation, which he made possible for all mankind. If we would just all do that, Scott, and focus on Jesus Christ and not ourselves, we would have so much more success, not in being a missionary, but in just being a human, in living, that it would... Uh, it would be a great blessing to us. And so I said, just just focus on people's relationship with Jesus Christ and help them. Here is your purpose from your grandpa. Your purpose as a missionary is to help people to feel the love of their heavenly Father and the gift he has given us in the offering of his Son and to help them get the Holy Ghost. 
if you will just connect people and talk to people about the Godhead, deity, the Father, his Son, and the Holy Ghost, you will be such a successful missionary and a successful person. I I, I just really feel that, Scott. If, if we could all, as missionaries and all of us as members, would would have the reason of the hope that we kind of talked about last last week, which is a is a relationship, is to, to a connection. It's Elder Bednar's word that he loves. I love the word they use in the temple and other places that we're bound, we're bound to God, we are bound to Jesus Christ, we are bound to the Holy Ghost, and more maybe more important, they're bound to us by covenant. They are bound to us. We have this connection, and we should try to help everybody receive those same blessings, covenants and promises, connections, uh, the love of God. That's, that's what it all comes down to. And so I thought we would just today, as we kind of in some ways end, end our uh, season, this is the last episode of our season but as we wind down uh, this season uh, in our podcast let's just kind of talk about the love of God Scott and how characteristics uh, attributes perfections which is the the second step in obtaining faith uh, you know the lectures on faith talk about there's there are three important elements to obtaining the faith of salvation uh, which is uh, belief in in God and in the Savior and uh, to understand, to know their attributes, to, to their character and their perfections, and to know that the course that we are pursuing is pleasing to God, that we have aligned our will to His. Uh, th- those are the three critical elements of obtaining the, the faith of power, which we've talked about in our, in our podcast on faith. There's, there's not one level of faith. If you talk about faith or any principle of the gospel, you have to think of it in terms of levels, not whether you have it or whether you don't. I think everybody to some degree has some faith, even if it's in tr- a true principle or not. Uh, so anyway, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there are different levels of faith, and to have the faith of power, one must incorporate in their life those those three elements. The idea that he exists, Number one, number two, the character, to understand the character, attributes, and perfections of God. And then to, to know that the, the course of their, their personal life that they're pursuing is pleasing to him and that they've aligned their will to, to him. That gives them the faith of power in which, at that point, Scott, they know, they know where they stand with God and they feel the love of God. So I'd like to talk just about how can we better feel the love of God, and I've, I've asked you to kind of think about that and maybe share some experiences about when you came to know of not just the existence of God, but when you, because I think we've, you and me, we've always believed in God, I think, since our birth, right? I think we're, Elder McConkie said he was born with a testimony. Yeah. I think you and I, in the environment we were born in, we have always known the idea or believed that God existed. Yeah, that that first element's pretty simple, and we were born with it. I think 
The second one is to know his character attributes and perfections. And and uh, in the uh, lectures on faith, there are six characters listed of God, and there are six attributes listed of God. So I, I wanted to kind of talk about some of those, Scott, and when you came to kind of know the love, the mercy of God in, in your life, and uh, when that became an important part of your faith. So you just said something that's really important, and, and it's always been important to me. Uh, you said that, you know, maybe we were even born with a testimony, and I believe I was, uh, at least a testimony of the existence of a Heavenly Father, at least a testimony that He loved me, at least, you know, those kinds of things. As a matter of fact, Dave, when Trevor, my oldest, was born, um, I was at your house, and uh, I was talking to Grandma, and uh, we were about to, you know, it was right around the time when we would be giving Trevor a name and a blessing at the in church, and, you know, just kind of a thing that we do in the church. And, and um, Grandma said to me, she says, I have some advice for you. And, and I said, what's that advice, Grandma? And she says, bless your kids with a testimony, Scott. She, sure. said, she says, you, sh- you need to bless your children with the testimony of the gospel, and especially to know that their Heavenly Father loves them. I'll never forget that. I rem- You know, it's one of those, you remember, you, there's certain situations in your yeah. life, you probably remember exactly well, where you were on 9-11. I think, I think that's you know, the Holy Ghost, bear I, witness. I, I remember exactly where I was on 9-11. I remember exactly where I was when the, the, uh, the revelation was given to President Kimball about uh, the priesthood being given to all worthy members of the church, and, and I remember where I was and what I was thinking, and, and I remember so much about the details of that day when Grandma told me that, your mom. And that's been an important thing for me. I believe that. I believe that I've always known that there was a Heavenly Father. I don't ever remember doubting it. I, I remember feeling like I needed to doubt it at points in my life to kind of uh, support the bad choices I was making, because if I didn't believe in a God, then it would be I would be more justified in making some right. of the stupid choices I right. was making and so forth. I think but, we see that a lot these days. I, and I agree with that. But in the core, in my heart, I knew there was a God. What I had forgotten was how much he loved me. What I had forgotten was how much he cared for me. And what I had forgotten that uh, his mercies were bigger than any mistake that I could ever make as long as my alignment which would come later as long as my alignment to, to uh, the, the power that comes to me because of the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, once I had forgotten those things. And so, you know, about October, about this time of year, actually, so, you know, I don't know when y'all will be listening to this, and I don't even know for sure when we will be releasing it, but we're right near the end of September, moving into October here uh, in real time. And so it was about this time of year, and my whole world was coming down around me. You know, I, and there was a series of events, and that series of events had literally been uh, taken years to accomplish. And they included a lot of uh, disobedience on my part, a lot of addiction, a lot of um, just a lot of bad choices that put me on a path that was not in alignment with Heavenly Father's will for me. And so I was obviously in alignment with the enemy's will for me. <laughs> And that power was very strong, uh, for example, in my life. So, Dave, I don't know, uh, I don't remember exactly all of the details around how all of this happened, 
But there was a night, and I have this written down um, so that I'll never forget it. But there was a night, it was October 24th, 1998. And I was living in a rent-delinquent apartment in Pleasant Grove, Utah. I had uh, really strained my relationship with just about everybody in my life. And I just felt like everything was going wrong. Well, I thought that what I would do was I would just drink myself to death that night. I literally did. And so I bought enough hard alcohol to do just that. Well, I, I was unsuccessful in doing that, and I don't want to get into the gory details around all that, but they were gory, and they were there are details. Uh, but So th the next morning was a Sunday morning, and that would have been October 25th, 1998. And I got a phone call from a very loving um, person who I knew, who was one of my church leaders, and he said, Scott, what's going on with you? Are you okay? And I, I, I said, what, what do you mean? He says, I've been up all night worried about you. You've been on my mind. There should have been no reason for this, no earthly reason for this. And he says, can you come visit me? Long, term, long story short, that was the beginning for me. You know, Heavenly Father had put into the, the mind of this person, hey, Scott needs help. Um, I love him. I need you to reach out to him. You might be able to to uh, to reach out to him and to, to show him my love. I think this is maybe some of the communication that this good stake president was receiving on my behalf from Heavenly Father. And so I, I met with him. I gained a ton of hope based on our conversation, and that really put me on the path to recovery. You know, now when I got on this path to recovery, there was a kind of a new beginning, a starting over for me. Uh, not in all ways, because you know, when you go through that, there's a lot of wreckage and a lot of messes to go back and clean up eventually, not right out of the gate, but eventually. And so, as I started down this path, and I started again to have communion with a Father in Heaven. You know, I, I had this perception, and maybe we'll talk about this down uh, the path here of the podcast, but I had this perception, I think, at that point, David, and where it came from, I'm not sure. It doesn't matter. The end result was the same. But I had this perception that I had really messed up, and Heavenly Father was so disappointed in me. And that, you know, there was just no possible way because of some of the dumb decisions, some of the sins I had committed, some of the uh, crimes against family and friends and, and, and others. Because of all of this, I just had felt like Heavenly Father didn't love me anymore. And how could he? How, how could he? I had done things, knowingly done things that would put me at odds with the Spirit. And so having done all that... I really needed to enter into a new process. Uh -huh. So they told me, you need, to, you need to have faith that a power bigger than you can help you. Who told you? Uh, so what, I went into recovery, right? So I went to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. I got a sponsor who was not even LDS at the time. Well, uh -huh. never was, never became LDS, but who wasn't even well, LDS. Hey, one thing I wanted to say. By the way, we don't have a monopoly. No, we do not. Of of a faith or belief <laughs> or, or a relationship. Love. Yeah, exactly. With God in the church. Uh, there are so many people who have that connection. And, yeah. and, and some who are not even Christian. That's right. Who have a relationship with, with, with deity, however they understand it. And, and I believe in a heavenly father who loves Mohammed's. Uh, Buddhists, uh, Hindu, uh, atheists, agnostics, yeah. and all of his children, then he's not going to give up on them, or 
he doesn't label people. He doesn't label people. Scott. No, he, he doesn't. And this sponsor, Big Al was his name. Big Al's passed on now. And Big Al, I talked about uh, several episodes ago. He's the one that I talked to fear and pride through. You know, remember that when he said, "You're not afraid. You're not. You're not." angry you're afraid you know and we don't and so you know he had just a really great perspective on things i don't know that he was even christian but he had that relationship with god that you're talking about and helped me to gain it too you know and so dave i i came to have a deeper faith and know heavenly father in a way that i never did before sure. you know i knew him the way you know my kids should probably know me i mean my kids have made some big dumb done some really dumb things and made some mistakes and I've been a little bit disappointed in them sometimes my family my dad and me your dad and you I mean that's just how it right. goes you kind of you, I think when you're young uh, you you kind of have an understanding of God based upon the same understanding that your father taught you about God or based upon even your relationship with, with your, your father fa- that's right yeah which can be really damning well I heard- I, I mean not that our, our fathers are great. But if our relationship with a heavenly father is based upon a relationship with an earthly, fallen, human father... There's a lot of fallibility in wow. that problem. That's, that, <laughs> that can be a problem. I heard a lady say one time, uh, and, and this lady is a spiritual kind of a guru person. She's not Christian. She believes in all these uh, other things. But she said something that was really important, I thought. She said, you know, the way we sometimes view God is the way we would view, for example, a father figure, if that's your... But, but So all the attributes we see in that father figure, we would just times by a thousand. So if God loves me, if my dad loves me, and I and I sh- shouldn't say that because I don't want my dad to feel like, you know, this is about him. It's not at all. But no, this, we, have, we have great dads, but none, just of, them are, as none a, of them are perfect or sinless either. I should say this about my kids. If my kids <laughs> say, well, you know, yeah, my dad loves you me, go. you know, but when he gets mad at me, he doesn't feel like he loves me, even though he says yeah. he loves me. Yeah. It doesn't really feel like he loves me. And, yeah, and I think well. so. And what this lady, her name's Carolyn Meese, what she said was, is that we take those attributes and we times them by a thousand. Now that's a quantifiable number, a thousand. We don't really quantify them by a thousand. I mean, we don't really know that we can quantify that number, but whatever it is, it's exponentially larger. Yeah, and so, wow. if Heavenly Father, if I'm if I can be mad at my kids for a mistake yeah. that they made, think how big Heavenly Father could be mad at me for mistakes I made. Well, that all changed. Yeah, you know, and it, and it changed based on some actions that I took. And some faith that grew out of those actions. And today, David, my, heavenly, my, my relationship with my Heavenly Father is completely different than all of that. Yeah. Well, and before you, get, you finish your story, you know, I know so many women who have a hard time praying to a Heavenly Father because of what they have been through. Yeah. With, with not, it, it might have been their father, or it might have been some other male. Yeah figure in their life yeah you know uh i i have a dear friend who uh was shinto growing up in japan and his father was so into the discipline Mm -hmm. of the shinto religion that my friend to this day who's been a bishop you know converted i think in his in his early 20s he and his wife and uh, still live in japan are on a mission right now or missionaries. Anyway, I love him, and uh, yet uh, how many times we have had to review the conversation with each other, and I've had to remind him of Heavenly Father's love for him, 
that Heavenly Father is not based upon the, the discipline of his Shinto father. Anyway, I what you're what what we're telling, I guess, our listeners, Scott, is you have to separate out yeah. all the false traditions by which we were raised. Yep. And to to open our minds into regard to who really is our heavenly father. And and many times I think we see him as being too harsh because of how we were raised. However, Scott some people see him as being too uh, too kind and too loving. I mean, there are t- there are extremes in both ends of this this continuum, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. And and C.S. Lewis said, most people don't want a heavenly father. Most people want a heavenly grandfather. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> or a heavenly Santa Claus <laughs> who who will take you to the beach. This is C.S. Lewis. Yeah, they they want to believe in a heavenly grandfather who will take you to the beach and hand out the towels and and uh, you know there's no discipline. There's no uh, anyway. Yeah, uh, we need we need to not go to one extreme or the other, and we need to come come to know the the one true living Father and and uh, understand what God's love really is. Well, you said that, you know, we can have a misunderstanding based on our false traditions, but we also, that, that understanding comes, I think, a little bit naturally also because of our human condition. Yeah, for sure. Right? Traditions and conditions. Exactly. Because, yeah. you know, we have the veil, and the veil's there for yeah, a reason, right, and, and, and we do need to work out, you know, to have that spiritual connection. In the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it tells me all I really get from my addiction is a daily reprieve based on my spiritual condition, or in other words, my relationship with my Heavenly Father. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. And that's not true for alcoholism. That's true, that's true for, for everything. All, for we're, all, all we really do is we just get a daily reprieve. Sometimes we only get a minute-by-minute reprieve. Sometimes it's only a, a reprieve in a second in time. But all always it's based on our spiritual condition and our relationship with deity. Yeah. Always. And, and that's what I found out. You know, I, I'm for that reason, and for that reason, if I w- if I were to just learn that one thing from all of my struggles, from all of the self inflicted wounds, etc., if I could just learn that one thing, that it's everything, all my peace and happiness is going to come and go, but all of my peace, I can have peace even when I'm not necessarily happy. I can have peace even when things in my life seem like they're going awry in every different direction. I can have peace when there's problems within my children's families and so on. I may not always be happy, but I can always have that peace, and that peace is completely dependent, completely dependent on how I see him and how I see how he sees me. Uh, and, and so, you know, that, that, that right there has made all the difference in my life and in my world. And so, I, you know, I do not bemoan be, being a recovering alcoholic. For me, that gift, that gift that came of knowing how he sees me and knowing how I see him and having it be different than the way it was before, that alone would be worth going through all that hell again. Was there, was there a, a specific time, an event where, the, where that came to you, or yeah. did that come to you over a process? Well, it, it came to me. I don't know if it came to me or if I recognized it. I think, I think it came to me over a process, but I think that through small events 
that 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 vision kind of opened up to me. You know, the first one that I you know was just telling you about that night, I was literally, you know, just drinking so hard and so fast. I mean, and and I don't, you know, this doesn't matter, but I'm not the kind of guy that gets sick when I drink, and so I'm not throwing it up, you know, and and I'm consuming it, and it's overtaking my body, and it's clouding me, and it's wrecking my spiritual life, and and all of that. And I, and I think that night, you know, that was the night. It was for me. It was like I can't go on. Something has to change, mm-hmm. and if I can't check out, then something has to change. Uh, and and that change came, you know that we, you know I call it, and I don't mean to sound flippant by this term, but it's a term that we often use in recovery. But that was a real God shot for me that night. Heavenly Father knew me. Heavenly Father knew what I was going through, and He knew what I was going through to the degree where He felt it necessary to touch somebody else's heart in my behalf and inspire them to reach out to me sure. and give me hope. I didn't deserve that hope. Yeah. I, d- I did nothing to deserve that hope. All I did was cry out. I yeah. cried out for help. I said, I can't. You can. I, d- I just don't know how. So. And it came in the uh, form of an inspired yep. priesthood leader. Yeah. Yeah, it really did. Uh, that, that's a miracle. And, and it couldn't have just been any priesthood leader. It had to be a priesthood leader with whom I had a yeah. connection already. Yeah. You know, he, this priesthood leader had been my bishop <laughs> when, when I had been arrested and gone through a really, really rotten time several yeah. years before. And so he was a little bit aware of some of the stuff, you know. Yeah. And, 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 and I loved that man. Who felt, who felt your love for him. Yeah. And I still love that man. I remember being a bishop once in uh, the St. Paul Temple. It had just been living in Minnesota, and the St. Paul Temple had just been completed, and I was given uh, I was given two tickets for anybody in my ward to, to attend the celestial room. And I'd been praying to know who to uh, uh, give those two tickets for to. For the dedication, For the right. dedication. Yeah, okay. You know, I had a bunch of tickets, but I had two white tickets that would let somebody go into the celestial room, and I'd been praying to know, and... I was traveling home on a Sunday from uh, my meeting Sunday afternoon, and I I knew I can't turn around the corner. I remember exactly where I was in the car, and it just came to me. I knew who I should give those tickets to, and uh, I called her on the phone. They were a long-time uh, converts to the church, but were uh, native Minnesotans, and uh, not that, uh, I mean, they were active, but they weren't that that strong, and they were rather uh, poor economically, and they, they, had, they had some challenges, uh, uh, you know, physically, had some. Anyway, I, I called her on the phone, and I said, uh, hey, how, how are you? And she said, I'm, I'm fine, I'm just, just... Uh, sitting here in my bathrobe and you know they hadn't been to church that sunday and i said well i just had a strong impression that heavenly father wants you to go to the celestial room when the saint paul temple is dedicated and she started to weep she couldn't talk on the phone for a few minutes and she said brother durfee when you called me i was kneeling in prayer Mm. asking heavenly father if that might be possible 
so I, you know, Scott, I, th- there are miracles like that. They don't always happen right in the middle of our prayer. Our prayers aren't always immediately answered. I know that. But I know Heavenly Father loves his children. And when there is a true need and the timing is right, all of that comes together. And oftentimes, as President Kimball used to say, oftentimes he uses us uh, in the church and out of the church, really. He uses us to help answer other people's prayers. Yeah. And to help other people feel his love. Well, that was definitely the case for me that night, you know, that, that night uh, or the next day. So the next day would have been uh, Sunday. So the 25th, I met with him and he actually handed me a a, 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 a schedule for Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> sure. I, that kind of shocked me. You yeah. know, I was like, wow. You have those in the state president's office, and I don't think all do. But I don't think all do, but, but, but they probably he did. should, huh? He, well, I, yeah, definitely he did, and he knew me and uh, gave me some direction around that that, uh, you know, doesn't really matter. It was personal. But, uh, so I went to a meeting the next – I drank that day, that Sunday. I had to. I mean, I was at the point where if I didn't drink, I was shaking, huh. and I was throwing up blood. And, I, you know, and I mean, I, I, I was in a bad way. I was just in a bad way. Yeah physically and and everything else. So anyway, I I, I went to a meeting that next day. That was October 26, 1998, and I haven't drank since that day. And that is a miracle. That is only accomplished by the good grace of our Heavenly Father. And and that event is uh, still fresh with you. It has to be. (laughs) Yeah. It has to be. Remember, remember, remember. Exactly. And... uh, Doubt not. I mean that yep. Yep. you you can't deny that experience, and you cannot discount it as being just coincidence. Well, and there's so many things in there that doubt not applies to. You know, yeah. because one of the things that we find, and this is true with any sin. I mean, you know, I've been out of it long enough that, and I've been sponsoring other people, and I've actually been in you know leadership positions myself in the church now to know that this is true, not just with alcohol, but you know, we begin to doubt yeah, any addiction. We don't sin. just doubt. We don't just doubt our relationship with yes, deity. We yes. doubt. Can I really do it? <laughs> you yeah, know, and we shame ourselves. So <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, and, and we we really can start tricking ourselves into believing. Well. I just made that up. My emotions were high that day. You know, I have a yeah. psychiatrist friend, and he's left the church, and, and that's what he tells me. He says, you're able to stir up your own emotions to believe whatever you want. You can get those, you call them spiritual con, uh, you know, um, confirmations. Yeah, they're, they just, emotional. they're just emotional stirrings that you've created yourself. Well, that's absolutely baloney. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that, that is, there's no doubt in my mind that on that night or on, and on that day and every day since then, the Heavenly Father's been in my life doing for me what I could not do for myself, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that's really sweet, Scott. I think one of the low points of my life, Scott, was uh, after the death of our third child in the last trimester of my wife's pregnancy. Mm-hmm. You know, she, uh, we, we buried three babies, three stillborn children. And when the third one died, I was, I was so angry. And, uh, you know, I was teaching seminary, but I remember kneeling in my office in the seminary, uh, building and, 
that's just wanting to shake my fist. I bet. And and crying out to him, saying, "Is this not a righteous desire? <laughs> Is it not a righteous desire to have children? Am I so unworthy that we cannot have children?" Yeah, I was so just angry and fearful and yeah. sad and and grieving, mourning and and not 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 really for me, Scott. It was for my wife. I think the times when I've been the most angry in this life has been when somebody has offended my wife, uh, and I I was feeling I was feeling angry because she was hurting so terribly. Whenever my children do things that are wrong, I feel bad, but I get mad mostly because it hurts my wife. Yeah, it hurts Chris. And that's that's what sets me off. And, and oh man, I, anyway. And that even goes back to high school when we were dating. Somebody said something about my wife, and it came back to me. I I spent almost all night looking for that kid to beat him up. Your girlfriend at the time, not your wife. She was yeah, she was yeah. my girlfriend yeah. at the time in yeah. high school. Yeah. And somebody had said something about her, which I knew wasn't true. And I went over to Pleasant Grove and I looked for him. And anyway. <laughs> Pleasant Grove guy, <laughs> <laughs> and so Scott, I was I was so low and I was so down and out and not not feeling the love of God. And uh, anyway, um, I I had a scripture come to my mind there in that seminary classroom. I it just came into my mind and I opened it up in in First Nephi chapter eighteen, and it talks about the great storm on the ship, you know, they were on their way to America, and they were in this great storm. Nephi's life had been threatened. Lehi and Sarah's life had been threatened by Laman and Lemuel. There was this mm-hmm. this great contention, and the and this wind, and this yeah. storm comes up. Well, and, and you say that they were on their way to America. They had no idea. Right. They knew they were headed to the promised land. They, they didn't know where that was land. or how long it was going to be that they were there. And yeah. so there were more. There was there were storms physically and metaphorically in their lives at that time. Yeah, that's right, Scott. And uh, in First Nephi eighteen, still remember it like it was yesterday, verse twenty one. Uh, I just uh, opened it up and uh, read this verse, and it came to pass after they had loosed me, layman. Lemuel had tied up Nephi and threatened his life. It came to pass, after they had loosed me, behold, I took the compass, and it did work whether I desired it. And then this is the part that got me. I started to cry, and I told Heavenly Father I was sorry. And it came to pass that I prayed unto the Lord, and after, after I had prayed, the winds did cease, and the storm did cease. And there was a great calm. So I cried out to God. You know, when I was shaking my fist at him, it wasn't much of a prayer. (laughs) But this time it was. And I said, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry. And I prayed and I expressed my my pain. I expressed my hurt. I... I was honest with him for sure, mm-hmm. but my my attitude was different. And Scott, uh, there was a great peace and a great calm. Uh, that was that was the first part of that miracle. 
And then uh, my my wife and I, we still wanted to, you know, we we had, we finally adopted a child because doctors told us that we couldn't have any more children. So we adopted a child, our our son Isaac, uh, from Philadelphia. By the way, same mission where Sierra is going. And uh, two years later, I was invited. I had completed my master's degree, and we were invited to move to Minnesota, leave a teaching seminary, and go back and help uh, coordinate and direct seminaries and institutes in Minnesota. And uh, shortly after we were invited back to Minnesota to go there, um, it was in, I think, uh, May or June, just a few months before we moved, we found out that Chris was pregnant, which wasn't supposed to happen because doctors didn't know why she kept losing these babies. Well, you can imagine her thoughts and anxiety and and my fears and what were we going to do now. We were, we had such a great doctor, Dr. Parker, and uh, we were going to lose our doctor. We knew nobody in Minnesota. Well, as soon as we got in Minnesota in August, September, we asked uh, some LDS nurses who were the best uh, doctor gynecologist was, and uh, they had uh, recommended us to a doctor, and we went to see this doctor, and and after seeing this doctor, he looked at Chris's uh, files and her case history, and he said, uh, "I I'm sorry, I can't help you. I I I don't know. I can't take on this risk. I'm sorry." And he said, but I think I know somebody who can help you. You've got to go to the St. Paul Fertility Clinic, and you must ask for Dr. Gaziano. You must see Dr. Gaziano. So uh, he helped us to make arrangements to see Dr. Gaziano. And we went to him, and the first uh, time we saw him, he looked at uh, Chris's history, and he said, Wow, this is rather interesting. He said, I think you have something that I've been studying for 20 years. And I can tell you if you have it or not by just pricking your finger and drawing some blood. And uh, and he did. And within a few minutes, uh, he came back after drawing some blood. And he, and he said, yeah, you're, you're a positive. You have a condition that I call antiphospholipid syndrome. This is in 1993. And he said, this is interesting because this month I am, uh, there will be an article in the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, you know, famous uh, medical journal. There will be an article which I have written on this very condition, and you have it. And he said, that's why you lost those babies. And he said, but I have to ask you, you already have five babies. Do you want to really have this baby? And, of course, as soon as Chris started crying, he said, okay, okay, I'm sorry. I can help you have this baby. And you'll have to take three shots of heparin a day from here on out and four weeks after you deliver the baby. So she, they put her on blood thinners. Uh, antiphospholipid syndrome is a condition where, uh, for some, the, the blood in the uterus will clot at a certain point in the pregnancy, and the babies just die from the lack of blood. 
and ours had all died, you know, these little one, two-pound babies. All about the same time, right? All about the same time uh, in the in the third last trimester. part of the third trimester of her pregnancy. Huh. And uh, anyway, Scott, we, because of her willingness and her sacrifice to do that, we had our Minnesota miracle, Laura, our baby, our baby girl. And it was an amazing miracle. She is an amazing miracle. She is a miracle. Deb and I went to dinner with her just she, last week. Oh, and, oh my goodness. We love that kid. She is such a, a sweetheart. Yep. I mean, yep. Yep. in every sense of the words. Anyway, she's, she's really a miracle. About two months later, Scott, I was driving down to Mankato to teach an institute class. This is the point of this whole story. And... I was uh, I was kind of feeling sorry for myself because this is the first year I'd been in Minnesota, and I had had a bishop down in Mankato, Minnesota, promise me that if I would drive down there once a week to teach a class, he would fill a class of uh, of uh, young young adults uh, who were attending the University of Minnesota at Mankato, which by the way is what the whole series of Coach on TV was. Yeah. Based yeah. on yeah, the Gophers, right? Yeah, well, no, they're not the Gophers, but the but anyway, it was Minnesota State okay. and Mankato. Okay, okay. Anyway, I was driving down there, and this was about the the fourth or fifth week, and we hadn't been able to get more than three kids to attend that class. And I'm thinking, I'm driving an hour and a half one way down to Mankato, the southwest corner of Minnesota, to teach a class. And what I thought I came out here to build the kingdom. I thought I came out here and I was going to teach the gospel and I was going to help. I mean, that was an impression that I kind of had when we made the decision to move to Minnesota, that if you go out there, you can kind of uh, have missionary experiences and help build my kingdom. That was the impression. And I thought, wow, I thought I came out here to build the kingdom. And here I am going an hour and a half, one way to teach three kids, and I was just discouraged, feeling sorry for myself, having a little pity party. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I I had this impression. And I could see this two-month-old baby girl, mm. this Minnesota miracle, yeah. Laura. Yeah. I Her, just as clear as anything, Scott, I'm driving down Highway 13 in Minnesota to, to Mankato, and I see this picture come into my mind of this baby girl, beautiful, all this hair, just a a precious gift. And I, like, heard a voice. I, I can quote it. It said, you didn't come out here to build my kingdom. You came out here so I could build yours. Wow. I had to pull over. I started to tear up and cry and I pulled over on Highway 13 to get a hold of myself and uh said a prayer and thanked my heavenly Father. This is what I learned about God, which with every part of my being I know is true. He is more interested in building our kingdoms our individual, personal kingdoms, God, than he is about us building his. That's the God I believe in. 
You didn't come out here to build my kingdom. I, I brought you out here so that I could build yours. And everything about our Father in heaven is to bless us, not to exalt him. Everything he's asked us to do, even to glorify him, is to bless us. Every covenant that we make, every commandment that we keep, every commandment that he's given us is to bless us, not to somehow further him and his work. His work and his glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of Scott Durfee and David Durfee and every one of his individual children, sons and daughters. That's the God I believe in, Scott, who who loves us, if I can say this. I, I know this isn't completely true, but it's like he loves me more than he loves himself. Yeah. Yeah. That's how much he loves me. Yeah. He, he's more interested in him building my kingdom than he is in me building his. Yeah. And if he ever asks me to do anything to help build his kingdom, I'm the one who benefits the most from that, not him. He can do anything he wants without me, Scott. But the only reason he asks me to do anything is to, to help me to grow to help me to progress, to help me to someday become like him. That's the God and Heavenly Father that I believe in and that I know lives. So I hope our listeners can feel the love of God and uh, come to that knowledge and and uh, for themselves and to have experiences and to remember those experiences and to not discount them or to doubt them. I can never deny or doubt those experiences which I did not imagine or make up. And those are those are real and they are true. And uh, I know that God lives and as much as I know he lives, God, I know he loves me yeah. and wants me to return uh, to be with him and to and he wants to build my kingdom and i i just have to get out of the way and let him and i think that's so key to so many things is we just have to get out of the way and let him <laughs> i i really I, I really believe that too i i believe that if we just you know and david is we've gone through this season which is coming to an end within the next few episodes as you've as you've mentioned but as we've gone through this season, we've just focused on one thing. And that one thing is the one needful thing. And that is the power that comes to us through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And we have that administered to us in our lives through the power, through his power, which comes to us as, as administered to us through the Holy Ghost. And I know this for a fact, uh, as I have pro 
progressed, I guess, could be the right word, as if I as I have progressed through this process, uh, you know, prior to doing the podcast and everything else. But as I began to let, and I think this is true for you, too, as I began to let the power of Heavenly Father into my life by aligning myself with his will, that love and my ability to see that love that he has for me has just increased like crazy. And it still does that. You know, I'm feeling an even a, a greater outpouring or an increase of that witness today as we sit here and talk about these couple of really important, and they're just two yeah. really important experiences that we both had in our lives. I know that you have more, and so do I. Right. But, and as right. we reflect on those, and as more are sure to come, uh, what a what a tender mercy! What a loving God! God is good, and and it's so amazing for us to have that experience. Yeah. But we wouldn't have had that experience, and we couldn't have that experience in its fullest without the atonement of Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that. Absolutely, absolutely, Amen. Doctor Gaziano. Doctor Gaziano. Wow. I I love my last name, but if I if I could change it to anything, Gaziano might be a, a good one. Great Italian man. Uh, he had kind of a little beard and goatee, just like you did. And uh, now, uh, just a second, you said a little beard and a little goatee. Well, I have a manly beard, for the record. No, it, it's kind of kind of thin, I think. Okay, Dave. Uh, anyway, he was he was an answer to uh, to our prayers, Scott, and we found him by revelation. Uh, really, uh, I'll never. I'll never forget that experience. Wow, he said, this is rather yeah. amazing. Yeah. I've been studying this for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, if, and now people people know because of his research yeah. and, and others, I'm sure, that, uh, wow, there are so many babies who are being... Uh, who are being born on the earth today who would not have been Otherwise, able to... Right go full term and be born if it would not have been for some of that research done by Dr. Gaziano himself. Yeah. And I hope guys like him feel that love too. I know my state president did. He told me that. He said, Heavenly Father must really, yeah. really. Yeah. In fact, I think that was one of the first things he said to me. God can work. Heavenly Father must really love you, Scott. God can work through a state president or he can work through a a doctor in St. Paul, Minnesota. who Or a good Samaritan on the or road to some stranger. Jericho. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's uh, those are those are sweet spirit experiences, Scott. Before we go, in the coming next few days, and people aren't going to hear this until after this has occurred, but uh, in a few more days, uh, we're going to celebrate the 200th anniversary of the appearance of Moroni, the Prophet Joseph Smith, September 22nd, early in the morning, I think after midnight. So. Except we don't know the exact time, but early in the morning, in the middle of the night, September 22nd. 1823. 1823, in a little cabin that I hope people have maybe gone back and been able to stand in that upstairs bedroom where you can hardly stand up. Uh, it was uh, really hot the last time I went there, I know. Anyway, Moroni appeared, Scott, and uh, another evidence of God's love. Moroni appeared, and this was the first of many angels to appear to the prophet Joseph Smith to restore the fullness, the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Moroni quoted many scriptures, some of which are in the Pearl of Great Price, and many more, which Oliver Cowdery recalled in some of his writings and letters. 
but it, it was all about family. It was all about the restoration of the fullness of the gospel and the keys of the priesthood that would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, and including our Heavenly Father. The Book of Mormon certainly does that. And every, you know, Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith 22 times. 22 times. Moroni, in, in September 22nd, 1823, was the first time, and in the next uh, four to four or five years, he appeared to him 22 times. Tutored, mentored, strengthened the. Uh, Jo- the prophet Joseph Smith in uh, translating by the gift and power of God this amazing record of a, a saga of a people who had left the uh, Jerusalem and had come to their promised land. Anyway, I, I'm just really grateful for that. I hope uh, our listeners were able to you know, remember that on the early in the morning of September 22nd, uh, that that great miracle. And I'm grateful for that. Thanks, Dave. So, uh, gang, listen, as we've gone through this, you know, and, and shared some personal experiences about Heavenly Father's love for us and the characteristics and attributes a little bit of our Heavenly Father and deity, uh, we just invite you to maybe contemplate, maybe even journal, maybe do some uh, personal searching. We've probably all had them. If we haven't, it's not uh, inappropriate for us to seek those experiences. And so by all means, uh, let's let's take advantage of what we know and the blessings with which we've been get blessed and uh, and invite the spirit of our Heavenly Father to be in our lives. And remember, we do just get a daily reprieve based on from the conditions of this world, from the conditions of the fall. Our reprieve is daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes minute by minute, but it's always contingent upon our relationship with deity. Thanks for being with us today. We look forward to being with you next week. Until then, be well. Thank you.